You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, Cancelling Debts. At the end of every seven years you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. The sabbatical year was established and described in Exodus 23 and Leviticus 25. There we see that they were to allow the farmland to rest, unplowed and unused, for every seven years. Now Moses adds that every seventh year they were to cancel debts as well. So this referred only to loans between fellow Israelites. Foreigners were still required to pay their debts. If they were consistent with such practices, there would be no need for there to be poor among them. This was idealistic, but a real possibility based on the contingency of their obedience. This could happen because God would bless their obedience with abundance in the promised land. They should strive for such a situation. In financial matters, they would be the lender rather than the borrower. This would give them a superior role over other nations. As Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Verses 7-11 to 11, Be generous. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Here we see God's concern for the poor. Many of the laws reflect this, as is the admonition to share with the poor during their feasts. This shows that selfishness is a heart problem. They were to be warm and generous towards the poor, not hard-hearted or tight-fisted. In contrast to the tight fist, they were to open their hands wide. They were to give willingly, lending them whatever they needed, not everything they wanted. They would realize that such loans would never be paid back, and this would give a window of opportunity and hope to the poor. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Selfishness is seen as a wicked thought and ill will. God knew their thoughts. They were planning to be stingy. Therefore, they were not to worry 
that they would somehow lose out by obeying this command. This would reflect the dignity of all people when the poor were treated with care and respect. There was the danger that the poor who were oppressed in this way would cry out to God. He promised he would defend them. Exodus 22 says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. So they are to be generous and give ungrudgingly to the poor and needy Israelites, and then God would bless them. Then in a statement that seems to be the opposite of verse 4, it says, There will always be poor people in the land. So while verse 4 was the ideal situation, this is the realistic situation, mostly because of their disobedience in this regard. D.A. Carson says, It reflects the grim reality that no economic system can guarantee the abolition of poverty, because human beings operate it, human beings are greedy, human beings will keep tweaking and eventually perverting the system for personal advantage. He also says the Bible is painfully realistic about the impossibility of any utopia, economic or otherwise, in this fallen world. So sometimes their sin would result in God holding back the rain, as in the days of Elijah, bringing its own consequences. Therefore, the point of this reality is not to lead to fatalism, but to a greater generosity. Verses 12 to 18, Freeing Hebrew Servants if any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you, because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant. Do not consider it a hardship to set your servant free, because their service to you these six years has been worth twice as much as that of a hired hand, and the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So much of the slavery of the time had an economic root. There were no bankruptcy laws, so an indebted person could opt to sell himself into slavery. Slavery was not meant to be indefinite. Hebrew slaves were Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Unlike the pagan nations around them and which they were dispossessing, they were not to practice child sacrifice. God would not demand that. They were to redeem the firstborn son with the sacrifice of a clean animal. Firstborn clean animals were to be sacrificed, and for animals that would be considered unclean, like donkeys, they were to sacrifice a clean animal in its place. So this tells us there was already some idea of the concept of which animals were approved, mostly because of the Passover lamb or goat. Exodus 22, 29 and 30 says, You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. 
Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. And this relates to the consecration or dedication of the firstborn sons and animals, relating back to the tenth plague on Egypt, when God spared their firstborn, but killed the firstborn among the people and animals in Egypt. And the eighth day was also the day when circumcision of male children occurred. Again, God tells them how to answer their, their children in the future. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. It will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So if they ate the firstborn animal where they were because it wasn't suitable for sacrifice, nevertheless they still had to drain out the blood. Instead of eating the blood, it was to be poured out on the ground. Failure to pour out and cover the blood was punishable by death. Pagan practices were in view here. They would hunt animals and then pour out the blood as an offering to the god of the hunt or the spirit of the animal. The Israelites were not to engage in such a superstitious practice of idolatry. Ezekiel 24-7 describes Jerusalem before exile as shedding blood and pouring it on a rock rather than covering it with dirt. This symbolized that their sin was blatant and exposed, which would lead to their punishment by Babylon. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? There will always be poor people in the land. Jesus said the same, but he added, But me you do not always have. He was not disparaging ministry to the poor, especially since he had just told the parable of the sheep and goats about good works, but that the higher priority was his worship, demonstrated by the woman who anointed him in preparation for his burial. Slaves were to be set free in the seventh year. Jesus sets us free. We are redeemed. Servants who loved their master could make a lifelong commitment to serve them. Likewise, because we love Jesus, we make a lifelong commitment to serve him. In the Old Covenant, slave owners were allowed to punish their slaves. In the New Covenant, people were to treat their servants fairly and gently, recognizing they also had a master in heaven to whom they would answer. Slavery was allowed in the Old Covenant. While the Gospel brings about social change, that is not its primary purpose. However, kidnapping and slave trading was still condemned, and slavery itself was discouraged. Paul said, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. When a slave was set free, they were provided for generously by the Master. God, our Master, provides richly for us. We must be generous and faithful, recognizing that we own nothing, but are stewards of God's good gifts and are accountable to Him in how we use them. God saw Israel as His firstborn, His life threatened by Pharaoh. God threatened to kill all the firstborn of Egypt. Jesus is the firstborn, unique Son of God. He was also killed. Jesus was the firstborn Son of Mary and of God. He was redeemed at birth according to the law. 
Firstborn sons and firstborn livestock animals were to be redeemed, relating back to the Passover night. We are redeemed by something more precious, the blood of God's own Son. Jesus is God's beloved Son and the firstborn from the dead. God prohibited eating of blood, seen as representing life. This foreshadowed the atonement made by the blood of Christ and pointed forward to the supreme value of the blood of Christ over animal blood. It is also the basis for capital punishment. It was not ascribing magical power to blood, but demonstrating that blood stands for life. Why blood? Because the wages of sin is death. Blood atones because shed blood represents death from a substitute, which covers the sin of the sinner who is then allowed to live. As Jesus is the fulfillment of these types and shadows, we are no longer required to bring blood sacrifices. Blood cleansed from the contamination or pollution of sin, and without the shedding of blood, there was no atonement for sin. Jesus' blood cleanses us from sin. Blood had to be spilled in order to atone for or cover sin. We are redeemed not with the blood of bulls or goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus, which takes away our sins once and for all, negating the need for animal sacrifices. In the New Covenant, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 didn't mention any dietary restrictions except that they specified we should still avoid blood. Although under the New Covenant we are no longer required to give our first fruits or firstborn, However, we should give our best. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 16. May God bless the study of his word.